of prayer uh, update. One was Larry Scadden's sister, Sandy. Uh, she was hospitalized recently for a fall and an infection at the site of where they have recently placed a port. Uh, so do pray for Sandy and um, continue to pray for Ada as well, who is uh, now at the Heritage Mills uh, living facility. Um, we want to keep her before uh, the Lord. Um, I'm going to ask Denny to come. Uh, Denny had an interesting experience this week, and uh, he would like to share um, how um, God has worked in a wonderful way, and maybe just something small, but something quite large. So Denny, come on up here and share with us, if you would, please. I really didn't want to do that. I know. <laughs> But you know how it is. We twist arms sometimes. And Funny how things work out. Um, I've been cutting the grass for quite a while. And there's, if you know if you have grass right now, there's a lot of grass. Well, it looked horrible. I'd cut it and it looked like a wheat field. So I sent one guy an email to help me go pick up a spreader or a sweeper to clean it up. He was on vacation, he couldn't help. So I got a hold of Pastor, and I said, would you do this, and send out an email, and he did. And asked people to call. Well, Hope said, what's going on? She said, your phone is ringing off the hook. <laughs> <laughs> several people, lots of people, more than several, had called and said, we'll help, we'll take you over there, because I don't have a truck anymore. We'll take you over, we'll pick it up, great. One guy called and said, uh, I'll loan you one, to use any time. Another fellow said, hey, I have one, you're welcome to it. So he gave it to us, to use here at the church. And I just thought that was such a terrific testimony. Testimony to the church, the people in the church, and the willingness of people to help. I appreciate it. Yeah. And we certainly appreciate Denny's work. Don't take the grass for granted. I mean, he is here mowing and mowing and mowing, and as he's riding this lawn tractor, he's got his little weed sprayer thing back here, and he'll stop and pssst. There's a dead and a lion dead. Psh, there's another one. Um, so when you look at the grass and you walk across it, uh, thank Denny for that. He does a, a great job. So, Father, now as we come before your throne, we are thankful. We thank you, Lord, for people, the church, Lord, this body of believers that when they see a need, Lord, they so often step up to the plate. Father, we thank you for this testimony of those who are willing to help. But, but Father, it extends way beyond this um, grass catcher. Uh, Lord, we know that when there is a need, uh, that people respond to a heartfelt need. And Father, that's the church, and we thank you for being part of that. Father, we do think of those that need our prayers this morning. We think of uh, Ada. Father, we Thank you for the transition and pray that, Father, she would um, 
find this to be a place that she can call now home. And Father, we thank you for the relationships that she's building, and we just commit her to you, as well as the family members. Again, we thank you for this facility that is able to care for her and love her and, and, and watch over her. We pray for Larry's sister. Lord, we know that she has been through a lot in recent years. And um, we're thankful that she's home. Uh, we do pray for the results of chemo, that they will uh, be able to say that it has done what it's supposed to do. So we commit Sandy, Lord, to you and just ask that, Lord, you would watch over her and comfort Larry and family members, Lord. It's hard to see loved ones who go through these difficult times. Father, we know of others, Lord, who struggle, whether it be physical, emotional, mental, spiritual. Lord, life isn't always easy, but you have said and made a promise to us that, Lord, you would never leave us, you would never forsake us. Lord, you would always be there for us. You would always see us through the storms of life. And so may your grace be sufficient in, lives, in the lives of these, Lord, who um, have daily battles that they are going through. Father, we thank you for our time this morning. Lord, this is a wonderful time in which you've given to us as the church, a time when we can all get together. Lord, we've come this morning to worship you. Father, you certainly deserve our love, our adoration, our love. And so, Father, we thank you that you have come to join us on this day. For where two or three are gathered together, Lord, you said you would be right there among them. Father, we know you're here. Help us to be sensitive to your spirit. Help us, Lord, to experience your presence. And Father, when we leave here today, I pray that we might be a little bit more like Jesus. Father, that's our goal, that's our aim, to be more like the image of your dear Son. So now, Lord, as we lift up our voices to you, we pray that our sounds, the music might be um, sweet aroma, Lord, to you as it rises into your presence. Bless our time, I pray this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us? We sing about our mighty God. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. Angels bow before him. Heaven and earth adore him. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve, what a mighty God we serve, the angels bow before him, heaven and earth adore him, what a mighty God we serve. I've got peace like a river, I've got peace like a river, I got peace like a river in my soul. I've got peace like a river, I've got peace like a river. I 
like a river. I've got peace, love, joy like a river. I've got peace, love, joy like a river in my soul. I've got peace, love, joy like a river. I've got peace, love, joy like a river. I've got peace, love, joy like a river in my soul. What a mighty God. What a mighty God.
like you all of my days I want to praise the wonders of your mighty love my comfort my shelter tower of refuge and moment to turn around and greet those around you. Tell them that nothing compares to the promise you have in Christ.
Thank you, Steve. That hymn does remind us that Satan is ever busy in this world, so we, we need to look to the Lord for our comfort. I invite you now to stand with me as we sing hymn number 249, There Shall Be Showers of Blessings. I know the weatherman is calling for physical rain, but we're going to sing about, about showers of blessings from the Lord. 249. There shall be showers of blessing. This is the promise of God. There shall be seasons refreshing sent from the Savior above. Showers of blessing. Showers of blessing we need. Mercy drops round us are falling, but for the showers we there shall be showers of blessing, precious reviving again. Over the hills and the valley, sound of abundance of rain. Showers of blessing, showers of blessings we need. Mercy drops round us are falling. But for the showers we plead, there shall be showers of blessing. Send them upon us, O Lord. Pastures are refreshing. Come and now honor thy word. Showers of blessing, showers of blessings we need. Mercy drops round us are falling, but for the showers we plead. There shall be showers of blessing, oh, that today they might fall. Now as to God we're confessing, now unto Jesus we call. Showers of blessing, Showers of blessings we need. Mercy drops round us are falling, but for the showers we need. Thank you, and may be seated. Traitor. The word, I suppose, uh, stirs different emotions when you hear the word traitor. Feelings of indignation, of anger, of hatred. One of the most famous traitors in our country, of course, was Benedict Arnold. He was an American hero of the Revolutionary War. He fought heroically for the Continental Army, but he then defected to the enemy, the British. He betrayed his country. There's another name that stirs anger within us, and it's that name that Steve mentioned just moments ago, Judas Iscariot, a man who didn't merely betray a country, but betrayed the Lord himself. 
You know, it's almost unthinkable that a man, a disciple of Jesus, should live with him, fellowship with him, for almost three years, and then defect to the enemy and betray his Lord. So what would cause someone to do that? What is in a person that would produce this kind of betrayal? How could someone who knew Jesus well for that amount of time walk with him and talk with him and pray with him and eat with him and then turn against him? Well, we want to look and try and answer that question. What could cause and produce this kind of betrayal? First of all, we want to look at the priority of Judas's life. The priority of Judas's life. Judas, the name itself, was a common name. Actually, there were two disciples that Jesus chose that were named Judas. Iscariot is not his last name. It's because he was from a place called Carioth. To be able to differentiate the two Judases on this team of disciples. Judas Iscariot. He was from a place called Judea. The only one of the disciples who was from somewhere outside of Galilee. All the rest were from Galilee. And we're not told much about how he was called or when, like we were with the other disciples. We don't have Jesus' Jesus's words to Judas, come now and follow me. But what we do know about Judas is this, that unlike the other disciples who burned the bridges behind them, Judas held on to something from his past. And that was a love for money. Judas loved money. Matthew burned the tax booth behind him. He left the money behind him. John, we looked at, he left his father in the boat. And Luke tells us that they left everything, these fishermen. But not Judas. Judas carried something into his discipleship. If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn to John chapter 13. Look at John chapter 13. Uh, we looked at this passage a little while back when we looked at the apostle John. Remember John, the one who reclined on the breast of Jesus, the apostle who Jesus loved. But during that Passover meal, and we're going to look a little bit of, in detail at that Passover meal. We have these words in verse 29 of John chapter 13. John 13 and verse 29 says this. It says, since Judas had charge of the money. Now I like how the King James states this. It says, Judas, he had the bag. In those days, there were no banks. You didn't have credit cards. You, didn't, you carried things in a bag. If you had money, if you had coinage, 
you carried it in a bag. And Judas was one of the 12. And he carried the money in a bag. He, we might say, was the treasurer. He was the one who um, had the money for the disciples. And we know that there were wealthy women, uh, oftentimes, who would give money to Jesus and support him and his disciples and support the ministry by giving them coins. And Judas was the one who would take the coins and put them in his bag. That's what Judas did. You know, it's, all, it's not a good thing to put in charge of the money one who is in love with money. Things happen when you combine those two. It's not good to entrust money to someone who loves money. You say, well, how do you know Judas loves money? Turn to John chapter 12. And let me read an account that shows us that Judas did not burn this bridge behind him. Judas loved money. And we see that in this account in John chapter 12, starting at verse 1. It says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus, he came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served. Now remember last week we looked at Mary and Martha. Remember, Mary was the one who, who sat at the feet of Jesus to listen to him. Martha was the one who was very busy serving. Well, this is the same Martha, and it, keeps, it goes on to say, while Lazarus, he was among those reclining at the table. So Martha's serving, Lazarus, their brother, he's reclining at the table. But then Mary, here's the Mary who, who loved Jesus. Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of this perfume. So Mary, wanting to be close to Jesus, wanting to show how much she loved him, she wanted to worship him in a quite a unique way. She goes to her cupboard and she pulls out of her cupboard the most expensive perfume she could find. And she goes to Jesus, pours this perfume on his feet, and wipes his feet with her hair. Verse 4, But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold? And the money given to the poor. It's, it was worth a year's wages. Now, he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. <laughs> so we begin to see the true heart of Judas. Judas, on the outside, and this is going to be the theme running through this sermon, on the outside, Judas always looked good. But no one could see within his heart. On the outside, he says all the right things. Oh, we shouldn't waste this perfume. 
This perfume that was worth a year's wages. This was expensive stuff. And Judas says, we shouldn't be pouring it on the ground, on Jesus' feet. We ought to go and sell this. Do you know what we could do with a year's wages? We could help the poor. Now, John says that he certainly was not interested in the poor. Judas was a thief. And if I could, Judas is saying, if I could just get this money, put it in my bag, I could help myself to it. That was Judas. Judas had this extreme love for money. We see his heart in this passage. He is a man who is selfish. He is a man who is loveless. He is a man who is careless. On the outside, let's feed the poor. Oh, Judas, that's a good idea. I suppose the other disciples thought. But that was not his real intent. On the outside, he seemed honest to think that the disciples should trust him enough to make him treasurer. But on the inside, he was dishonest. He was greedy. And he always took advantage of his position. On the outside, he always said the right things. Let's help the poor. But inside, he only cares about himself. He's just looking to fill his bag so he can put some out, take some out of that bag and put it into his own pocket. Judas knows how to pretend. Judas has this secret life that apparently was not revealed to the other disciples. And greed motivated everything he did. Money was so important to this man and he fell prey to it. Money was his God. Money was his God. The Bible says a lot about money, not always in the positive light, not, always, not only in the sense of, you know, we should be giving to the Lord our tithes and our offerings, but the Bible says things like, the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money, not money. It's okay to have money. But the love is the root of all evil. Jesus himself said you cannot serve God and mammon or money. Either you serve one or the other. Judas was in love with money. That was the priority of his life. To just be able to take another shekel and put it from the bag, and put it into my pocket. But notice also the inclination of Judas's life. I use this word inclination, and, I, and the Webster says it's an urge to act in a certain way. The urge to act in a certain way. It's a bent that makes you lean in a certain direction. F.F. Bruce, in his commentary, he said this about Judas. He cherished a treacherous inclination. He cherished a treacherous inclination. Judas had this bent toward evil. Look at John chapter 13 and verse 18. John chapter 13 and verse 18. This is Jesus now. 
He's speaking, and he says this. He says, I am not referring to all of you. He's speaking to the disciples. I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill this passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. Jesus is quoting from Psalm 41 and verse 9. And back there in the book of Psalms, it is predicted that Messiah will be betrayed. And this literally states where it says here, uh, he who shares my bread has turned against me, literally means has lifted up his heel. Has lifted up his heel. And it's the picture of a horse that is preparing to kick something. So what we have here is Jesus quoting scripture and saying that one here who is with me is a fulfillment of that scripture. In the Greek language, it's a picture of violent hatred, of utter contempt. It is a picture of a propensity toward betrayal. That's a quote by Jerry Vines. In Judas was this propensity, this inclination toward betrayal. Now, we dare not say, because Scripture predict, predicted the betrayal, that somehow Judas did not have a choice to betray. We find ourselves at this point in that difficult territory of trying to reconcile God's sovereign plan and man's human will. God sovereignly planned in the book of Psalms that he, the Messiah, would be betrayed. And Jesus says, Judas, you are the one. But that does not remove him of the, his responsibility, having chosen to betray Jesus. But the reason Jesus says this in verse 18 was to give his disciples a heads up. Because if you go down to verse 19, it says this, Jesus says, I'm telling you this now. You disciples, before it happens, before I am betrayed, I want to tell you this and give you a heads up so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. In other words, I don't want your faith to be shaken. I don't want your faith to be shaken. When I am betrayed, I knew it was coming. And I want you to know that. I want you to know that it's coming. I'm giving you a heads up. I want you to have a stronger faith knowing that I know rather than have your faith be unsettled. So we have clearly the fact that Jesus, he knew beforehand what his future held. Jesus is omniscient. Being the son of God, he knows all things. He, he knew this was coming. This is not going to surprise him, and he doesn't want it to surprise his disciples as well. Scripture reveals Judas's inclination for betrayal. But not only did Scripture reveal it, but Jesus revealed it as well. Go back to John chapter 6. Go back to John chapter 6, and I want you to notice the words again of Jesus himself. In John chapter 6 and verse 64. John 6 and verse 64, 
Jesus said, yet there are some of you who do not believe. He's looking at his disciples again. He's saying, some of you, you still do not believe. He's referring to Judas as an unbeliever. Judas may have walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, ate with Jesus, but never fully believed in Jesus, was not a true follower of Jesus. He might have walked with Jesus physically, but spiritually he was far, far from his Lord. I think he had little if no relationship at all with Jesus. But it went one way. Jesus, as I said last week, there are no degrees of love. Jesus loved Judas as he loved all his disciples, but I don't think Judas really had any relationship at all with Jesus. But notice something else. Not only is he an unbeliever, but notice verse 70 of this same chapter. Jesus says this, Have I not chosen you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? Now, he's not actually a devil, um, the NIV study Bible says one who would oppose Christ in the spirit of Satan. So he, what I'm saying in all of this, there is the inclination, there's something in Judas. He's not a believer. It seems as though Satan is controlling him. Back in the Old Testament, it is prophesied, it is predicted that one will betray Jesus. Judas has this inclination toward betrayal. He has this defiled heart which gives him that propensity toward evil. And again, outside, if you were to meet Judas on the street, you would probably think he's an okay guy. But there's so much going on inside of Judas that he is just hiding from everybody else. He is the great pretender. The great pretender. But then thirdly, notice the betrayal of Judas's life. The actual betrayal. I want to try and give you the sequence of this betrayal. I don't want to go all the way back to the Old Testament and start to work. I just want to go to Tuesday on the day between Palm Sunday and Resurrection Sunday. That week is called Passion Week. On Tuesday... Is that rain? Just heard that. On Tuesday before Friday, Jesus is going to be crucified on, fr on Tuesday. Let's start there and we'll work our way to the betrayal. Turn to Matthew chapter 26. Look at Matthew chapter 26. Let's start on Tuesday of Passion Week. Matthew chapter 26, starting at verse 14. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 14. It says this, Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, he went to the chief priests and he asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. And from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. So on Tuesday of Passion Week, Judas goes to the chief priests. Now we know that the they're always looking to trap Jesus, right? 
All these religious leaders, they have no time for Jesus, no love for Jesus. Always looking for a way to trap Jesus, to trip him up, to do something wrong. Here Judas comes to them and says, what would you give me? What would you offer me if I delivered Jesus right into your hands? And they offered him 30 pieces of silver, which is not a lot of money. It's really only the amount of a common slave. If you were to go to auction, you could buy a common slave for 30 pieces of silver. Some actually believe that um, this was just kind of a down payment. It doesn't say that in Scripture, but maybe once he was delivered over to the chief priest, then they would give him a little more. We don't know that. But for now, we're looking at 30 pieces of silver. Judas strikes up this bargain with the chief priests. They come to the price of a common slave. That's all Jesus meant to Judas. That's all Jesus was worth to Judas Iscariot. The price of a common slave. That's on Tuesday. Now we come to Thursday. And we come to John chapter 13. I know we've been here before, but let's go back to John chapter 13. This is now the Last Supper. This is the Passover meal. This is when Jesus and all of his disciples, they get together to have one meal together. It's Thursday before the crucifixion on Friday. Look at John chapter 13 and verse 21. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit, and he testified, Verily, truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples, they stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, who is that? John. He was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he, John, asked him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping, in, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. Two days after the price was set, the disciples are now in this upper room. John is leaning on the right-hand side. Judas, I understand, is on the left-hand side. John is the one who Jesus loves, reclining on his breast. Judas is on the left-hand side. Now, you've all see the, seen the painting of Da Vinci, right? This is not what it looked like. They're not sitting on chairs. They're not, like, all facing the camera. It's, it's just not the way it was. But they're all reclining on pillows around a very low table, leaning on one arm, eating with the other one. And John, as I said, is on the right, and... and um, and Judas is on the left, and Jesus now says that one of you, one who is sitting, reclining right here with me, is going to betray me. 
Now the disciples, they begin looking around the room. Peter looks at Nathaniel. Goodness, Thaddeus looks over at James. They start staring at one another. Who, who is this? Who is this one who has been with us for three years? We don't know. See how, how good Judas is at pretending? You know, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, that if Judas had been a really, really bad guy, they all point that there he is. He's right beside you on your left arm. Nobody said that. Even Judas himself, we read over in uh, Matthew 26, 25, he said, surely not I, Rabbi. Again, what a pretender. Judas always said the right things. He looked right. He hung out with the right people. But deep inside, he has this evil, evil, defiled heart. He has just struck a bargain with the chief priests to turn Jesus over to them. And now he's saying, so that the other disciples can hear, oh, it's surely not me. I, I would never do such a thing. And then Peter, wherever Peter's sitting, you would think Peter would have been like maybe over here on the left. But uh, Judas says, Peter, then he motions to John. We don't know what kind of gesture he uses, but hey, find out who this is, John. John, just whisper in his ear, ask him who it is. And so there seems to be a, a, a private conversation now between Jesus and John. It doesn't seem to be that Jesus shouts this out. But he says to John, John, I'm going to take a piece of bread. I'm going to dip it in the dish. And then I'm going to hand it to the one who's going to betray me. Jesus turns from John. After revealing this to John, he turns then to the table. He takes a piece of bread, he dips it in the dish, and then he turns to his left and offers it to Judas. Several commentators believe that this for Judas was a defining moment. That this was Jesus' final appeal to give to Judas a chance to repent. That Jesus, in taking this piece of bread and reaching it over toward Judas, he was doing it in love. That Judas, this is, this is the moment of truth for you, Judas. He's not saying that. But Judas knows what this, what's going on here. He probably heard what Jesus and John were talking about. He's right there with them. This is the moment of truth. This is Jesus reaching out in love. And yet Judas never confesses. Judas never opens up. He never admits his plan Silence. And Judas takes the bread and seals his fate. Jesus calls him elsewhere the son of perdition. 
a name used for the Antichrist. Jesus also said this of Judas, it were better if he were never born. Judas is lost forever. And a few hours later, back in Matthew chapter 26, notice what takes place in the Garden of Gethsemane. In Matthew chapter 26 and verse 47, we read this. This is in the garden now. It says, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived, and with him was a large crowd, armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them, the one I kiss is the man, arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. He's still pretending. He's still putting on this outward front, this show. A kiss is what? It's a show of friendship, of, of love. When he's harboring this murder in his heart. Judas is a complete phony. He has been for three years. And he betrays Jesus with a kiss. He acts as a friend with murder in his heart. Oh, Judas was good. He was good at hiding. Hiding everything in his heart, his deep secret life of this great love for money. He was good at pretending. He hung out with the right crowd. He ate with the right people. He did all the right things. He prayed with the right prayers and he said all the right words. But Judas never became a true follower of Jesus. Judas was a pretender. He had everybody fooled. Everybody was fooled. You know, one can act like a Christian, but never truly be a follower of Jesus. One can act like a Christian, but never truly experience salvation. Sometimes Christians hang out with the right crowd. They eat with the right people. They do all the right things. They pray the right prayers and they say all the right words. But deep down in, they have never truly repented of their sins and trusted Christ as their personal Savior. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 7, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, did we not drive out demons and perform many miracles? And then Jesus said, and then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. This morning, my question to you is this. 
Are you truly a follower of Jesus Christ? Maybe you fooled everybody. You know, you look good, you say all the right things, you dress nice when you come to church. My question to you is, have you in your heart of hearts, have you come to a place in your life where you truly repented of your sins? You said, God, I believe you are a holy God. You have set a perfect standard, and I have fallen short. The Bible says we've all sinned and we've fallen short of God's glory. Have you, at some point in your life, have you confessed that sin and truly repented of that sin and then turned to Jesus for salvation? The Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. There is only one name under heaven whereby men can be saved, and that's in the name of Jesus. And you, after having repented of your sins, you have trusted Christ alone for his blood to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Judas had everybody fooled. Sometimes Christians can too. But my challenge this morning to you is, are you truly a child of God's? Having repented confessed your sins, and trusted Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Father, I thank you this morning for even examples such as Judas. Lord, it helps us sometimes to examine our own hearts, our own lives. Lord, I, I believe that you know most here, Lord, know you in a personal way. They have trusted you. They, they know without doubt that they're part of the family of God, that they're on their way to heaven. But Lord, we don't want to sometimes take those things for granted. And so, Lord, I pray that you would take these words and you might bring people and confront them, Lord, with their own relationship with you. What is that relationship? Is it a saving relationship? Or are we just going through the motions? Lord, I pray that you would not just work this morning, but continue to use these words to bring and confront all of us, to know without doubt, to have the assurance beyond any doubt that we are true followers of yours. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Take your hymn books, if you would, please. Turn with me to hymn number 255. Hymn number 255. Would you be free from your burden of sin? There's par in the blood. Let's stand together and we'll sing this and be dismissed.
Let's jump all the way down to stanza four. Would you do service? Would you do service? Jesus, your king. There's power in the blood. Power in the blood. Would you live death? His praises do sing. There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder working. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus that does cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, may that blood be applied to each one here, applied to each heart. And Lord, help us to leave here with a great assurance, knowing that we are your children, and we are someday going to be in your very presence. What a wonderful time you've given us. Lord, we thank you. We enjoy these times together and pray that, Lord, you were honored, that you were Blessed that you were adored by all the things that we have said and done. In Jesus' name, amen.